The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be streamed live. What's up, guys? Uh, Ty is uh, detained. I'm trying to find out when he'll be here. Um, but we have a great guest with us uh, today. So I'm going to let him introduce you because I, uh, Ty had had the intros and everything worked out. But again, Ty is late. But I have a Stephen Law who is a – well, give us a little bit. Tell us about what you do and who you are, Stephen, and we can talk uh, from there. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a philosopher. I've been a professional philosopher for um, quite a long time. I took early retirement recently. Um, I've been working at the University of London for about 20, 25 years. And before that, I was a research fellow at Oxford University. I did my doctorate in philosophy um, at Oxford University. I did some teaching there. Um, I did my first degree at the City University in London. And uh, the, the, the way I ended up there is a bit weird because um, I don't have any A-levels. Now, in the UK, if you want to go to university, you have to do your A-levels. And I kind of flunked out or got kicked out of college. Um, and so I don't have those. And I became a postman uh, for about four years. And I did various manual laboring jobs. I worked on the M11 motorway when they were building that. Um, and I would kind of do a lot of reading. And one book would lead to another. And eventually I discovered this subject, uh, philosophy. And then when I realized you could actually go to university and study it, well, that was it. Uh, so my mind was made up. You know, I, I, I'd always been interested in, que in questions like, how do I know this is real and not some kind of matrix type illusion and how do I know what's right and wrong and could my parents be robots and you know, <laughs> machine think all those kind of questions were very exciting to me I just didn't realize that you could actually go to university and study that stuff and and when I when the penny dropped and I realized I could do that that's what I did I applied as a mature student uh, about age 24 I think and I got into university by some miracle I still don't understand how I managed to talk them into letting me in but they let me in and then I did well and then I did I went to Oxford and so on became a research fellow got a got a job so I've ended up moving from being a postman and a manual <laughs> laborer to becoming an academic uh, it's Very been a strange, nice. strange journey yeah and you and you are in Oxford now correct that so, so you yeah, I am I've eight hours ahead yeah. of us I am yeah I'm sitting here in uh well this is currently my bedroom it's not normally my bedroom, but it is at the moment because we got a new puppy. I, I mentioned this to you just before we started. Uh, a new puppy, eight weeks old, and um, so I have to, it. It's not going to sleep on its own, and it keeps wanting to poop. And so basically, <laughs> I'm on puppy poop patrol all night, every night, and uh, yeah. So well, I'll be you know, you, you're being a philosopher. You can you can't you just decide whether or not that poop is real. That's what yeah, I do. No, That's what my daughter does. My daughter goes, that poop isn't there, Dad. Um, yeah. Prove to me that that poop is real. Um, yeah. Uh, so really quick, we, we, uh, Ty is here. Ty, Ty joined us. What's up, Ty? Um, hey. And, uh, yo, all of a sudden I lost Ty. There you are. Hey, I'm here. Up, one second. There you go. No worries. Um, yes. All right. Well, we lost Ty again. <laughs> he was there and he was gone. Um, yeah. Yeah, but like I said, Ty, Ty, guys, Ty is, um, as you can see from those of you who watch the show regularly, uh, his room is almost empty now. He's moving, so he is uh, in the literally in the middle of moving his house right now. So that would that would explain his delay today. Um, so so what is your what is your expertise? Um, would you say like, or, or what is your favorite field of study? I know we talked a little bit about, um, and, and you know, you've you've written what? You've uh, how many books have you? I've or, lost. Or, or, I don't know. 
Uh, a lot, more than 10. Um, yeah, so I've written a lot of um, introductory philosophy books, uh, kind of for the general public. Um, I've written some children's books uh, on philosophy, uh, which I really enjoyed uh, doing. Just kind of writing books for me when I was back in my early 20s and younger than that, books that I would have enjoyed reading to find out about philosophy, but they just didn't exist back then. So I, so I kind of wrote books like that for my earlier self. Right. Um, so I've been doing that. So I'm a popularizer and I edit a journal for the Royal Institute of Philosophy called Think Philosophy for Everyone. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing philosophy to the masses uh, or attempting to, to do that and raising some enthusiasm. And uh, I, I promote it a lot in schools. Um, and I've, and, and it, but in terms of my academic stuff, I, I worked on philosophy of language and metaphysics. And then later on, um, I got into philosophy of religion, even though I'm not religious, I'm an atheist. Um, and I've become fairly well known for the philosophy of religion stuff. Nice. So, so yeah. Ty, here's Ty. Ty, what's going hi, on? Hi. Let me first. Let me let me start by saying first of all, bro. Thank you for being here. I am sorry about the confusion. I am in the middle of moving, yeah. uh, and apparently, um, I am the only one that has to be even halfway decent at my job um, <laughs> because uh, the between the cable company, the internet, uh, movers. Uh, no one has to really be good at their job anymore. Anyone <laughs> can just kind of pawn it off on everybody else and say, oh, I didn't even know that. So anyway, I, my sincerest apologies. Thank you for being here. I know you're eight hours away. Um, and, and, and again, thank you for doing the show. Uh, you add another level of credibility to what we do. Uh, so thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. No, thank <laughs> you for having me on. So, um, so go ahead, talk. No, so so we we've been talking a lot. I wanted to bring this up. I mean, I know do, how, how we're not going to get. We we usually talk a lot about politics, and we're not going to get super political. But I like, yeah. I, as you know, as you probably know, I'm an I'm an atheist. Uh, Ty and I are both comedians, but I I do a lot of talking, uh, uh, speaking, and and I do a lot of conventions, and I do you know I do a lot of paneling, and I talk a lot about skepticism, critical thinking. I, I merge it into my comedy. Um, and Ty and I have, have toured a lot together as well, doing a lot of uh, like political comedy and social commentary and from two perspectives. And, and, and we merged this, this podcast started as a comedy podcast and eventually ended up into this, uh, you know, talking about political issues and critical thinking issues. And, and, um, and I don't know how much you follow American politics, but I, I know yeah, it's, it's around the world. It's not just in America, but but also American politics are also around. Or, the world. or, or as we call it in America, the shit show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so. But we've had this this. Um, we see with the Internet, especially the lack of critical thinking skills. Um, yeah. The lack of understanding where good information comes from. I mean, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday, uh, twice, two, three different people, where they say they're saying something, and well, you know, there's a big one right now in in California. Everyone's about QAnon, and all these people are really into pedophiles, right? They didn't care about the Catholic Church. They didn't care about the Baptist Church. But now that yeah. they think Tom Hanks is molesting people, then Hollywood, right? So somebody posted a thing about. California just legalized pedophilia. And they're talking about a bill that was SB 145, which all it really did was say, if you're, if you're gay and you have a, 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 a relationship that is, um, 
that is with somebody under consenting age. In California, consenting can, age of consent is 18 across the board. Other states, it's 12, it's 14, it's, it's different ages. California, it's 18 across the board. So it used to be that if, you have, if you're eight, over 18 and you have sex or sexual relations with somebody under 18, you, if you were gay, you automatically got put on a sex register as a sex offender register without anything, without a conviction, whatever, you were put on that. If you were hetero, you had, they, they chose to, to whether or not you were put on the list based on your crime and your conviction. So all right. SB 145 did was change the ruling to make it equal for hetero and gay relationships that were, that were inappropriate, statutory rape, whatever. That's all they did. They didn't legalize pedophilia. Cool. And I had this conversation <laughs> where I'm like, you got your information from somebody sharing a meme or a headline that says California legalized pedophilia. And I know thousands of people who share that and said that. And all they need to do is the simplest thing. Google it, read it, fact check it. Yeah. And, and, and there's just zero. I feel like there's zero critical thinking and fact checking ability in the majority of society. And I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. No, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm well aware of that problem. Um, so, I, I, in, in so, so to, to some extent, becoming a good critical thinker is about kind of, you know, getting the intellectual chops, becoming a kind of thinking ninja and being able to spot the bad arguments and figure out what's good evidence and what's not and so on. Um, and, and all of that stuff is very important, but it's kind of only one half of being a good critical thinker. The other half is being self-aware, being aware yes. of your own biases, and in particular, the own, your own very powerful emotional commitments that you've made. And we, we've all got them. We, we, you know, we all have things that matter a lot to us. So, and, and when we're dealing with those kind of beliefs, um, we are very vulnerable, <laughs> it turns out, to bullshit, manipulation, and all sorts of other kind of flaky reasoning and so on. So, you know, if, if somebody tells me, um, you know, if I believe something like Chamonix uh, uh, is near uh, the, the Matterhorn, and somebody says, no, that's wrong, Stephen, it's, it's, near, it's near Mont Blanc, I'll go, all right, I've made a mistake, I'll just change my belief it's an easy fix for me to change that right. belief. But other beliefs we have much more invested in. So if it's beliefs to do with um, your career and your life project, you know, you've been working for a tobacco company your whole life, and then they discover tobacco causes cancer, that's going to be a very difficult situation for you emotionally because you've been presented with evidence that suggests that what you've committed yourself to your life to is actually not a good thing at all and so that's called cognitive dissonance that's what psychologists call cognitive dissonance the the right. the, 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 the discomfort we feel when those deep beliefs the ones that we're really committed to um are challenged um, another example would be political beliefs yeah. um you know i get quite upset <laughs> just like everyone else, when I see evidence and arguments against what I believe. And it's it can be very tempting to kind of 
um, explain away under those circumstances evidence against what I believe. We we start to cherry pick the data. We look at whatever supports what we believe. So if I see something that suggests that the kind of people who I politically disagree with are paedophiles or something else, I'll just seize on that and I won't look too carefully at it because it right. it fits in with what I've already got a big stake in. Well, well, and then when people... Sorry, and, and, and at the same time, whenever there's evidence against what I believe, I'm going to start cooking the books, really. I'm going to start explaining away and explaining away. And and to, to the extent that you find yourself doing that, you know, more and more habitually, seizing on things more or less uncritically, and at the same time explaining away any evidence against what you believe, um, the, 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 the more you become an intellectual prisoner of your own belief system, you become less and less attached, you know, connected to reality. Uh, you, you, I, I, call, I call it an intellectual black hole. It's like, yeah. you know, in space, if you get you get too close to certain belief systems, they suck you in. Yes. Uh, and there's no escape. You go over the event horizon. Uh, and, and, and some belief systems, particularly political, religious, uh, life projects and, and friends and family. You know, if it turns out my wife's a serial killer or there's good evidence that she is, you know, like Ted Bundy. Boy, that's going to be very difficult for me to process. process. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be looking for every way I can to explain away the evidence. Well, and um, and yeah. can I just add in that that one of the things I've noticed, and then I want to and, and I want to bring Ty. Ty, we we see this all the time with with guests and people that we're talking with in our stuff. I find that what you're saying, obviously, what you're saying is 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 true. But the weird thing is, if you look at the things that people have have doubled down on the things that people have that cognitive dissonance that that uh confirmation bias the things that people hold on to so tightly now i feel like it's casting a wider and wider net every day and i think that's a direct result of how we politicize everything like look at how we didn't used to politicize things like climate change science we didn't politicize these things so now everything's politicized wearing a mask is a political statement here. So yeah. I, I, I feel like nowadays when everyone identifies something as a as politics or religion or whatever, then all of a sudden they're becoming really, really, uh, th that cognitive dissonance is attaching itself or whatever to little things that should be insignificant, like wearing a mask yeah. or getting a vaccine. or And we see it all the time on the show where, where people will, will, will go to the death on something like Ty had had an argument with somebody the other day that we're trying to get on the show, just a, a regular guy, another comic or whatever, who is doubling down and just fighting to the death on what what was it like the, the, the minimum wage or something? And it's, yeah, um, kind of got a little feedback there. Was that you, Ty, playing that? Sorry about that. I was oh. trying to pull up the, a clip to to tag on with what you're saying. Go ahead. No, so um, I, you know, I just it, we we're uh, finding these people um, doubling down and 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 having this response to really mundane her. things. And that's sad. I'm sorry. Hold on yeah. one second. The guys. problem with that is, though, is I was allowed to believe things that weren't true, and I would ask questions questions about them and talk about them, and that is absolutely what I regret. Because if it okay. weren't for the continue, Ian. Did you oh, okay. Yeah, we can hear it. Okay, good, 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 because it'll tag into what I'm saying. Continue. Uh, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? Uh, allowed mm. to believe things, but but yeah, I mean, my my point is that I find it interesting how what you're saying has started in the recent years, and I think a lot of it has to do with social media, been casting this wider net of what 
of what we are, of what we find to be our core beliefs. Like now again, like wearing a mask is now yeah. somebody's core belief. Like, yeah, no, I think that's true. I think you're right. So, and, and that connects to what I was saying. So, you know, you're, you, you have a strong, I mean, some beliefs are, you know, I, I got that wrong. I'll just change my belief. But when, when beliefs are tied in with a belief system that's about your sense of yourself, your identity, your people, your tribe, those beliefs, mm. much, much harder for you to just cast them aside. You know, the cognitive dissonance kicks really kicks in. And I think you're right that we are finding more and more beliefs are kind of built into our sense of who we are and what tribe we belong to. And it becomes that much more difficult to be rational about them. I mean, we also, I mean, I, we're all vulnerable to this, to some extent, um, sure. you know, and I find myself, I catch myself explaining evidence away a little bit too casually, a little bit too habitually sometimes, because, you know, I've got, to, there's a lot, I've got a lot at stake here. Um, uh, so we all, we're all doing it. We're all guilty of it. Um, but there is, but you're right that there is this tendency for more and more beliefs to fall under that emotional response umbrella. So you have there's so much at stake that I'm not, I'm just not that interested in listening to your counter arguments, and I'll explain stuff away and so on. And why has that happened? Um, I think it ha is at least partly down to the media, to be honest. Mm. Um, certainly in the UK, I feel like we may be approaching some sort of tipping point almost. We've had decades and decades of, we have a pretty right-wing press in the UK and the front pages of the tabloids day after day, week after week, it's stories about migrants or people, benefit scroungers or whatever, you know, whatever it might happen to be. And they have been stoking this stuff over and over and over again. And it's become... I'm I'm beginning to become quite concerned <laughs> about the extent to which people are um, now expressing views which you would you would not have heard in the mainstream um, even five or ten years ago. But people are expressing them now, and they feel able to express them. And there's a kind of momentum beginning to build, and I, I do find that quite disturbing. That that happened here, I think, definitely with with Fox News has been doing that for for decades. I mean, it's the it was the number one news, Fox cable news, and and their opinion. They have more opinion than news, but they don't. I mean, they eventually were forced to to put that it's opinion and for entertainment only on some of their shows because yeah. people get their news from you know Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and these people who are who are absolutely nuts and absolutely have. Are, they're not dealing in any sort of facts. And if you think that that's your, if you think that that's real news and you're hearing it constantly and they're telling you, which is the other thing that's scary about, it's this, this, these conspiracy people. Con it's built into conspiratory thinking that anything that goes against your conspiracy yeah. <laughs> is, is wrong and trying to get you. It, it's just like religion. If, if, if you're a, a hardcore cult member, they're going to tell you anybody outside of your cult is working for the devil and trying to take you away from this. And anytime someone goes, I need you to come away from this, it just confirms your bias. Yeah. Yeah. So Ty, did you want to, and you wanted to show this time? So, uh, okay. One to tag on to the thing about, uh, so Marjorie Taylor Greene says, I was allowed to believe things that weren't true. That's a member of Congress, by the way. That's a person. Allowed. That's, that's, <laughs> allowed to believe. 
that's that's a person that was elected by other people. That's a person who other people saw as we want her to represent us. So there's where a problem is because for her to instead of just coming up and saying, you know what, I went down a rabbit hole of things, and these things are just flat out not true. Blah 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 blah. Mm. She put it off on someone else. I, a functioning adult, was allowed to believe other things. So, so therein lies one of the problems. The other things I want to show. Uh, we have the 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 screen sharing thing up, Paul. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I want to show. First of all, I want to show people what made me excited about having you on the show as, as a guest. So, so this is when I was trying to put a promo clip together. I was trying to see what would I use, or or how could I summarize what what this was. But this is the one that really stood out to me, and I literally shouted out loud, like "Yes!" when I watched. Okay, hmm. hold on. Bunch of bad arguments, propaganda, psychological manipulation, prejudice fake news and bullshit right there developing your critical thinking (laughs) (laughs) so so to me when i saw that uh steven is is i was like yes someone who calls it what it is exactly bullshit Mm. yeah now we have a society that we and we didn't have this problem four years ago don't get me wrong i'm not saying there wasn't misinformation out there four years ago it was but we didn't have the uh, such a huge portion of the country believing in it or like like you said casting this web this umbrella of hey you guys come believe this i we talked about this a while back a few shows ago where in america there used to be three networks three major networks abc nbc and cbs all three had different anchors but all three of them gave you the same news. It was the same information. You know what I'm saying? So it just depended on what you who you wanted to hear it from. Whereas yeah. opposed to now, this, this this umbrella of freedom of speech has been an issue. It's almost the same thing what they say with the internet. They say, well, the internet is going to create so many problems. Yeah, but you know what? The internet has been good for directions. It's been good for learning reviews. It's been lear- good for learning do-it-yourself do stuff. But the other part of that is everyone feels like since they have the same access to the same information, they're right. And, and, and so having you on, help us understand, help our audience understand uh, how someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or like uh, can, can say she's allowed to believe it, but also how someone can look at uh, someone like a Ted Cruz who is who left and went to another country to avoid serving the people. And instead of those people using reasonable, rational skills and saying, wait a minute, I see the representative that I elected leaving us stranded. I'm going to be angry. Instead of doing that, they're like, okay, there has to be a reasonable explanation why he left us stranded. Are you familiar with what happened with that, by the way? I don't know if you guys got that news. Oh, then, uh, then let me let me brief you really quick. Ted Cruz, yeah. uh, aka Evil Shitty Wolverine, um, <laughs> is, uh, he is a representative of Texas who doesn't believe in climate change, doesn't believe in any of that. He's a staunch Trump supporter, so much so that Trump uh, literally talked about his wife, uh, talked about his father, all that, and he still is a Trump supporter. He 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 got reelection. Uh, he got reelected. Uh, recently, Texas has been going through a lot of bad situations. 
partly due to climate change. Uh, and, 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 and also partly due to deregulation of energy, so which they predicted was going to happen. So yeah, so anyway, yeah, so it's, it's a huge storm, winter storm. They've been out of power for days. People don't have food. They don't have water. They're freezing. Yeah. And Ted Cruz packed up his family and went to Cancun for the weekend. Yes. Um, now he packed up his family, went to Cancun. Then he blamed it on his kids and said, <laughs> well, the only reason I went was because I had to escort my kids there. So my yeah. whole point is that instead of his fellow, uh, instead of the people who voted for him, even 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 if you are a Republican and you believe what Fox News says, what happens when a person looks at that and says, wait a minute, I really should be pissed off that this dude is not staying here representing us? Because I can tell you, he's just going to say a couple bit of word salad and they'll forget it. So help us understand how it's easy for these people or anyone to be able to show this to people, they see it because my, my, my slogan has always been Republicans keep showing you who they are. It's your problem that you don't want to believe them. So how does that work? Well, um, so look, I'm not a psychologist, so I, I can't really, like, <laughs> I can't really look into the mind of Ted Cruz, to be honest, and figure out what the hell's going on in there. Um, but, no, no, I, I mean, I mean, in the sense of, when you say the cognitive dissonance, because someone should be able to look at that and be like pissed, like, wow, you laughed. So, so you're, how saying, that... you're saying, wait, why, why do the people continually support people when it's obvious that they're not serving their needs? Yeah, it's because, well, it's because, you know, for the reason that we looked at earlier, people have so much vested now in these belief systems. And they have been worked on consistently for decades. Um, look, there are, if you want to influence people's beliefs, you've basically got two options open to you. You can try and use uh, reason, which you know, understood broadly, you know, scientific reasoning, evidence, and so on. You, you can try and apply reason. And if you apply reason, um, you, you are using something that's truth sensitive. Reason is truth sensitive. If you apply reason, you have a pretty good chance, or at least a much better chance of figuring out what's actually true. Reason acts as a filter. There's a lot of bullshit out there. It's all coming in from all directions. Apply reason, and there's a fairly good chance that only the true stuff or mostly the true stuff is going to get, get through, and you're going to end up with mostly true beliefs. So, you know, that's the, that's a case for using reason. Um, a lot of educators are a little bit suspicious about using reason, though, because reason is a double-edged sword, right? Uh, if I, as an educator, try and use reason to persuade you of something, well, you can use reason right back at me. You can show that maybe that I'm the one that's mistaken. So you run a risk when you because because reason is responsible responsive to the truth, not to whoever's set themselves up as the educator telling other people what to believe. It may be that the educator turns out to be mistaken and reason can be sh shown to do that. So what people sometimes do instead is they use other mechanisms for influencing belief. So, you know, and we all do it. I mean, I do it with my kids and so on. We use mechanisms like uh, repetition. You just keep telling people the same thing over and over again. Each day you just keep, you know, you get them to mouth the words. They may not believe them to begin with, but if you've been doing it for days and months and weeks, eventually, it, you know, belief can begin to take root. So, you know, repetition, isolation, uh, cut people off from friends and family that are going to dissent, 
Uh, you know, cults do that, for example. Uh, work on peer pressure. You know, there are some famous psychological experiments which reveal that you, you, it's amazing the extent to which you can get people to de deny what they can see with their own eyes if they're surrounded by people who are telling them that they're wrong. They they won't step out of line. They'll 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 march in step. Uh, so you can use peer pressure and isolation to influence belief. Um, you can um, offer you know, emotional manipulation. If you go to a totalitarian regime, you'll see, as I did recently, not very long ago, actually, I went to Tehran, um, and I saw pictures of Obama on the sides of buildings, you know, with devil horns and... Uh, <laughs> And, but then, if you go to if you go if you if, if you if you, you can see that in other, Texas too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, you know, there's there's a picture of the Ayatollah with golden rays of sunshine coming out of his heads, and you know, and, and little birds fluttering around, and so so that kind of imagery, emotional manipulation, um, control of information. Don't tell people this stuff; just tell them that stuff, and so on. All of those mechanisms, if you apply them very consistently, are really effective at shaping people's beliefs. But the thing about these other mechanisms is they work just as well for false beliefs as true beliefs. I mean, if I want people to believe that the Earth's core is made of cheese, I'm not going to be using reason because that's going to backfire pretty spectacularly. I'll use these other mechanisms. It's not? <laughs> it's not made of cheese, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you yeah. know, really, really quick before I don't want to cut you off either. But but yeah. I think what well, one of the things that that um, I it, I mean, when I was younger, I remember listening to people who seemed to have good arguments for stuff. Mm. And like, I mean, we just we just lost him. Um, well, I don't think anyone's missing him. Uh, but Rush Limbaugh just died, uh, and he's a horrible shitty human being and he was yeah you know and i'm and i'm sorry if you're uh, anyone's upset but i don't give a shit that he died but um the fact is that he would present arguments that sounded logical and yeah. sounded well reasoned but you have to go back to what he started with and and where people get wrapped up in these things a lot of times is um the original thing I remember years ago, I was taking, well, I was 19, I was taking a, a class on argumentation and persuasion. And I, I used to like to debunk all the, uh, uh, try to find all the logical fallacies in, in, you know, famous, whatever, uh, arguments for the existence of God. And I remember one of them, I, I try to remember if it was St. Anselm or, or Thomas Aquinas, or one of these had this like proof for the existence of God. And I remember yeah. it started out, would you agree that, that God is, is, uh, that which nothing higher can be conceived, right? And then it goes through the steps, right? Anselm, and I remember, yeah. and I remember it, it was Anselm. And I remember looking at it and I'm like, wow, this is a pretty sound argument. And I didn't believe in God my whole life. But I was like, I don't, this doesn't make me believe in God. There's something wrong with it. But what is it? And I remember I took it to a professor and he, I said, help me with this. And I said, and he goes, okay, cool. And I would go, do you believe that God is that which nothing greater can be conceived? He goes, no. And he walked away. <laughs> and I went, fuck. It was that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, the premise was wrong. The, the, I mean, or the premise was something that why would I, I have to agree to this premise? So I find that that happens a lot where someone agrees with the premise, like something about immigration. Yeah, I did lose my job. And it's usually something fear based, something emotional, right? Like I did lose my job or yeah, that guy is getting something he's, and he's getting one over on me or, hey, I'm racist and I don't like the way the guy, that guy's Pakistani, that guy's black, that guy's Mexican or whatever it is. And, and once that kernel of truth happens, you can go down 
the rabbit hole and you forget how you started. It isn't until you unlearn this beginning thing that the rest is ever going to unravel. And once you've invested, like you said earlier, once you've invested so much in that, now and you've lived your whole life or you've lived a year or you've been talking about it, you've been now you have to go back and say I was wrong. And what you said earlier, which is the number one thing in my opinion, is self-awareness. The foundation of skepticism is being self-aware. The foundation of a relationship with another human being is being able to go, I was wrong and I will work to fix that. That's, yeah. that's painful. It is. It's very painful to, uh, you know, but particularly when it comes to those beliefs in which we have invested a great deal or which are playing like a pivotal role in our whole belief system. You know, if that one goes, oh, my God, I'm tired. I think it comes crashing down. Um, it is. It's extremely painful. And um, it takes a lot of courage and kind of emotional self-control to actually kind of make yourself question the things that are kind of your, the foundations of your belief system. Now, actually, that's a that's kind of what philosophy specializes in, really. It encourages people to just take a step back, forget about, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty of the day to day issues, but just take a step back and just look at your beliefs in the round. And, you know, what, what are the fundamentals that I believe and why do I believe these things? And what's the evidence for these things? And, are the, uh, you know, other people have other points of view and could they be right? And how do I know that they're asking those kind of questions is, is, is basically what, what we're doing in philosophy and it's incredibly important that we encourage people to every now and then i think take a step back and just engage in that kind of reflection it's not that you have to do it all the time and every day obviously that would be ridiculous but just having a moment right when you just calmly take a step back and think i know that i have a lot invested in this belief but actually is it true and how do i know it's true just doing that is a very healthy exercise that kind of philosophical reflection and um, it's good for you because you're more likely to end up with true beliefs. Um, it's also, I think, I mean, in, in, encouraging people to reflect and discuss things rather than just accept what they're told or accept what their peers are telling them more or less uncritically, it turns out that that really makes for a, a quite a different kind of citizen. It, uh, so the research has been done into the backgrounds of people that did the really bad stuff in the 20th century, the kind of the people that, ki that killed Jews, that engaged in genocide in Rwanda and so on, uh, but also the people that did the right thing, even when that was risky, dangerous to them. You know, what was it that marked those people out? Research has been done by a couple uh, called the uh, Pearl and Samuel Olina, who wrote a book called The Altruistic Personality, which looked at rescuers of Jews during the Holocaust. And then a philosopher called Jonathan Glover wrote a book called Humanity, which looks at the people that did the bad stuff, but also the people that, that, that worked to save lives, often at risk to themselves, in these awful catast you know, catastrophes. And it turns out... People often say, oh, it was religion, right? The religious people, they were the people that did the right thing. No, not really. I mean, it had some small effect. The thing that really marks out the rescuers from the non-rescuers is that they had been raised in a non-authoritarian way. They'd been raised to think and discuss things and not just passively accept 
what they had been told. The people that that, that, that that did the bad stuff felt that they were just pawns and that they didn't really have much control um, and they, they had been kind of... So, so if, you, if you want to immunise people against the worst kind of moral catastrophes that mark the 20th century, it turns out that you know, your best bet, I think, is growing body of evidence to support this your best bet is to raise what you might call enlightened citizens individuals who have the courage to apply their own intelligence and ask difficult questions of others and of themselves uh, to engage in that kind of reflection um, it turns out that's that, that that's you know that, that that's not just going to make your beliefs more likely to be true but it's going to make it that much more likely that you'll do the right thing when things go uh, south love that and and uh real quick uh, i want to read a couple comments but also uh to all of our guests thank you for tuning in if you have a question for our esteemed guests please write them and we will ask him for you uh and we strongly encourage you to ask these questions because we do not know when we're going to have somebody this educated on the show again so <laughs> ask ask all your questions right now uh, i want to read a couple comments really quick and then i want to tap tack on it which said um tammy says uh you win 100 of the arguments that you don't participate in <laughs> that's very true uh uh gregory says oh i'm sorry uh and then uh tam says most of the nazi most of the nazi top members were catholics um and and listen and and here's and, and i love that you said that when you when you break it down to looking at self-reflection being self-aware and also stepping back and doing these exercises in reason um to to put it on something very surface when i was a kid uh, there used to always be this argument, who was more talented, Michael Jackson or Prince? There's always the back and forth, like, who's better? Who's better, Michael Jackson? And I was always on the Michael Jackson side. Like, I still like Prince, but I was always on the Michael Jackson side. Because he sold, at the time, it seemed like he sold more records. And then as I got older, then you find out Prince was not only the performer, he was a writer, producer, composer, played nine of the instruments, wrote all of the songs, did all of this stuff. So when you look at the reasoning in that, you're like, well, no, it's no question. Our, there's no question at all. Prince was no doubt the more talented of the two. So I understand when you say the reasoning. My, my, I think where, where the frustration lies for us is that we learned in these last four years that a lot of people don't have these reasoning skills. Like right now in America, you have people that are arguing against raising the minimum wage. Now, these aren't millionaires arguing mm. against the minimum wage. These are people that don't have money that are arguing against raising the minimum wage. So yeah. when you say you said earlier that we were, we were uh, you know, say you guys there were approaching a tipping point. I, I honestly thought that same thing was happening here. And Ian said something maybe one or two shows ago. He said once once this guy is out of office, that people will come out of their coma that they've been in uh, of misinformation. And, and some people. <laughs> yeah. But but we still see the, the propaganda machine going. We still see the misinformation yeah. campaign still being pushed by the same networks who, when they're sued, they quickly say, ah, hold on, we, we can't corroborate that. But then they go right back to saying the, the wrong information. Yeah. Uh, to, to the point where like people like Fox News had to remove news and they just said, uh no, no, they I'm sorry, they had to remove fair and balanced. And then when you when they yeah, exactly. they, yeah they had to remove fair and balance <laughs> and then um, 
and, and a couple of lawsuits uh, lay, uh, uh, hurled at Tucker Carlson, uh, their defense, uh, Fox News' defense was no one in their right mind should take him seriously. It is just an opinion. This is what the, the Fox News used as a defense. So my, my thing is, what, how do you, because what you're saying makes absolute sense to us. Hmm. I think what happens is, it's just amazing. And, and, and I said this years ago, I said, I wasn't as disheartened about one person being in office. I was more dis- disheartened by finding out that people that I thought were better even better thinkers were not. So, so how do you yeah. rationalize that? How do you unite a country like that? How do you move forward with people who still refuse to do the exercises that you said, being rational and go and looking and trying to discern what's what? Yeah. And it's not just a it's not it's not that it's not about being dumb or anything like that. I mean, sometimes it's the smartest people who are actually really, really good. Uh, defending their beliefs come what may they you know they're the most ingenious i mean well some somebody that in some way somebody that <laughs> in some way in some ways i really admire is uh ken ham have you ever come across ken oh, ham yeah. the, the yeah. creationist yeah the creationist the uh, yeah answers in genesis his website is it's just fantastic resource if you're a philosopher <laughs> um because he's defending this view that the entire universe is 6,000 years old and that this can all be squared with the available scientific evidence. And the thing about Ken Ham is that he's an incredibly intelligent man. He's not a fool, but he's applied his intelligence in, in, a, in a way that has convinced him that he's being rational and reasonable and that everyone else, like us, we're all deluded and we can't see the truth that he has somehow discovered and can rationally support. And it's, 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 it's when it's your own belief system, it's incredibly hard to spot what's really going on and the bizarre convoluted mechanisms that you're engaging in, in order to convince yourself that what you believe is in fact reasonable and ken ham is a is spectacularly good at, at doing that i mean you know but professional philosophers and, and scientists that are really knowledgeable will go right into a debate with ken ham and he will chop them up he's a really good debater he's a smart cookie and he know he knows the debating moves and he'll tie you up in knots very very quickly i mean i would i would really be very worried about going up against somebody like that so he's a smart guy he knows how to argue and yet he's fundamentally <laughs> deluded um and i think that a lot of i think the best bet that we have sometimes so in philosophy of religion which i've been working on i think if you come at people kind of straight ahead with the arguments they're ready for you just like ken ham right if you point to the fossil record and say but ken you know what about all this fossil record how do you explain all that how could that be squared with a universe that's only six thousand years old or you know the light from distant stars it takes thousands of years to get here how do you explain that if the entire universe is only six thousand years old now if you go on the answers in genesis website he's got uh explanations for all of this stuff incredibly ingenious clever convoluted explanations um if you come at him straight ahead He's ready for you, and he's going to probably, because he's had so much practice, he's probably going to shoot you down in flames. 
Um, so what you need to do, I think, and I think this is probably what I've been doing my entire career when I think about it, is you need to kind of creep around the back. Uh, you need to kind of get him to look at another belief system, which is clearly, which clearly is nuts, and he can see it's nuts, and then get him to see that what he's doing is in fact the same. It, it's the same things. He's playing the same games. He's making the same moves. It's all the same strategies that are being employed. So I've been doing that um, to some extent in philosophy of religion. Um, so I'm going off in a massive tangent here, but, but just to, just to illustrate. So a lot of people, if you explain, if you if you if you're skeptical about skeptical about the existence of um, an all-powerful, all-good God, well, they're ready for you. They've got explanations for why there's evil. Uh, for example, they've got explanations appealing to mystery, God's mysterious ways, and there's a, there's a whole you know vast network of moves that are available to them that they've learned like a double glazing salesman you know that, that you know doesn't matter what you say they've got they've got the stock objection the stock move so that so, so they're so they're ready for you if you come at them straight ahead um i think the way the, the way that i've tried to deal with that is by pointing to a completely well a slightly different belief which is belief in an all-powerful and supremely evil god now everyone knows that's nuts right I mean, everyone, no, no one's going to take that seriously for a moment, right? Why not? Well, you know, look out the window. It's There's too much sun and laughter and ice cream and rainbows and cheesecake. Why would an evil god allow us to have cheesecake, right? Uh, it's obvious. That's a ludicrous belief. No one believes that. Um, but what they're running there just is the same argument that atheists run against a good god. I mean, they... Uh, as an atheist, I'll say, but look at all the evil. Why would God kill hundreds of thousands, you know, over hundreds of thousands, 200,000 years, kill around about half of every generation of human children? Why would an all good God do that? Um, uh, that's the problem of evil. Um, and they, they're they not persuaded by that. They'll explain it away. They'll come up with, you know, mysteries and explanations and free will and all sorts of other ingenious moves. But they do. The, but but when, we, when you look at an evil God and you say, uh, do you believe that? They say, no, no, that's ridiculous, too much good. But it's exactly the same objection, right? If you believe in a, if you believe in a good God, you have to explain the evil. If you believe in an evil God, you have to explain the good. And when, the, and when you point to an evil God, they go, oh, yeah, way too much good. That's ridiculous, right? But right. when you point to a good God they, and, you, and you point to the evil, they go, no, 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 hang on. No, that's not a good argument. I'm ready for you. I've got all these. But, but if you point to the, the fact that these two belief systems are actually remarkably, you know, belief in a good God, belief in an evil God, remarkably similar, and you can make more or less all the same moves in each case, once they begin to realize that, um, they begin to realize that they have, it, they have built themselves a little intellectual black hole. They've built right. themselves a belief system that they've trapped themselves in, and, um, and they can see that that person over there is trapped in their belief system and is right. not being rational at all, but is just somehow convinced themselves that they are. But, but it, it, it's a mirror to them. They can suddenly, my experience is sometimes uh, people will go, oh my God, <laughs> that is me. I, I am doing the same thing. So I think that sometimes you've got to be sneaky when it comes to people that are embedded in these belief systems. You have to kind of work your way around the back and get them to look at some other belief system and then right. point to the parallels. Yeah. That's actually, it's funny because that's one of the things um, I've always said. And with um, 
with regards to like a lot of times I, I argue with people or I, I do I do with comedy. I do this on my on my act. I, I'll talk about something that we can all agree is or most people will agree is nuts. Like, you know, I might I might do a joke about astrology and everyone's laughing. Mm. Oh yeah, that's silly. My sister believes that. And then I'll yeah. do a joke about Bigfoot. And everybody goes, ah, Bigfoot, hilarious. Yeah. Oh God, who believes that? And then I'll do the exact same thing and relate it to something like Christianity. And they go, oh. yeah. And I yeah. also find that what's happening is that I've done that sometimes with people where I agree with them. So they'll talk about like super religious fundamental people. Oh, we can't have abortion and we can't do this and we can't do that because the Bible says, the Bible says, well, a lot of people don't realize that the early texts, uh, you know, like the, the Old Testament, which is the same as the Torah for the most part, it's all the same, uh, same stuff. And Muslims have the same, it all comes from the, the reason they're Abrahamic religions is they all come to the same place. So when, when Christians are super against Sharia law, and and the yeah. things that they want are identical to Sharia law. Identical. Yeah. They're from yeah. the exact same words in the exact same book, and they don't even know it. So a lot of times I like to do is agree with them and get it all the way to that point and then be like, exactly, that's why Islam, boom, 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 boom. And then they freak out because they don't realize that they've been arguing for Islam. It's what the Satanists do, like the, for laws. So these Satanists, mm -hmm. they'll go and they'll put up a, a, pick, a big Satan's dick on the, on the courthouse. <laughs> and then the Christians have to come in and use the First Amendment to say you can't, the state can't sponsor religion. And then yeah. the Satanists go, okay, we'll take down Satan's dick. Oh, take down those Ten Commandments too. Yeah. It's a very, it's a clever strategy. It's, it's often much more effective than coming at them straight ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of construct an analogy. Um, so, so another one that I quite like. So in this country, believe it or not, we have a lot of state-funded religious schools, um, around about a third of them, I think, are so Christian schools, Muslim schools, Jewish schools, and so on. Um, and uh, people are really good at defending them. Uh, they've come up with all sorts of explanations for why we really need to do this. Um, so... What, what I sometimes do is I point to, I don't know, schools in totalitarian regimes, you know. Um, imagine that people, people don't like those, okay? And, and, and suppose they started opening here, right? Schools that um, selected on the basis of parents' political beliefs. So, you know, if you, can, if you have to be a communist to go to Middlesbrough Communist School or you've got to be a, a neoliberal to go to the neoliberal hide. It's just down the road. Or, <laughs> and there's a, the, the, parent, you know, the parents are interviewed and we find out what the political beliefs are. Um, and then, you know, every day begins with these, the singing of political or the reading of political tenets. Karl Marx is read out, you know, loudly <laughs> at the beginning of each day. Uh, and there are rousing political anthems sung in the school playground. Uh, and um, there are pictures of political leaders, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, various other beaming down from classroom walls. And so now, now if, if we open schools like that, in the UK, there would be horror and outrage, and people would point to, you know, the Soviet Union and say, "Look, that's the kind of schools they had there. This is completely outrageous. These are a terrible threat to uh, any healthy democracy." But if you simply cross out political and write religious, those schools are up and down the country. Yeah. Uh, they're, just, it's, they're there already, but because, but it's the anesthetic of familiarity. You know, people, people can't see what's right in front of their noses. Um, they can't see just how completely unacceptable it is because there are schools that are selecting on the basis of religious beliefs and 
you know, that, that begin with religious readings and are emotionally manipulating the kids into believing this stuff. And there's imagery on the cloth. It's it's the same, but because it's religion, uh, oh, they can't see it. But politics, uh, no, they they spot it straight away. Um, and so drawing those kind of analogies, I think, is often your best bet when it comes to trying to. It's kind of breaking the spell. It's a bit like in the Hans Christian Andersen story, the of the the emperor's new clothes okay. when everyone's kind of you know going oh yeah we're the, the emperor's got these new this new out he's absolutely naked of course uh but he's been conned into believing that he's wearing clothes which are fantastic but which can only be seen by the connoisseur <laughs> right. uh other people won't be able to see them and so no one dare admit that the guy looks naked <laughs> uh because they think that um that will reveal that they're uh, not 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 sophisticated it's not, not a sophisticated judge of clothing and so on. So, it's, But eventually a small boy points and laughs at the king and that breaks the spell. Suddenly everyone's laughing at the king and everyone realises that he's naked and he realises that he's naked and that he's been completely taken in and conned. So sometimes you need those kind of spell-breaking moments, I think, to snap people out of these well, kind of... Uh, um, we had a we had a capital siege and they some people still don't realize that the emperor has no clothes on. <laughs> uh, I don't okay. know snap them out of here. Let me ask you this just totally random question. Yeah. Um, and listening to you explain a lot of stuff and then you, you do it very calmly. You say a lot of words that, that you know, I'm like, oh, OK, good, good, good. Is there any time in your entire career that someone has said to you anything and you had to hold back the reserves to say, you sound dumb as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, wait, really quick. I, I, you did debate William Lane Craig, did you not? Yeah, he's not dumb as shit. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, but he does, he, does, he does make some ridiculous arguments. Uh, he's not dumb, no. no. He's, he's another guy like Ken Ham, but man, he does. He drives me nuts. Anyway, didn't that's mean strange to bullet. Yeah, he likes the whole hell, hell and all of that. So that's quite, yeah, yeah I, I, it's, it's, it's pretty out there, some of his stuff. Yeah. Um, I, 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 in by, by the way, thank you, everybody that's been watching the show. And again, if you have any questions, we only have a little bit of time left. If you have any questions for our guests, please write them now so we can get them in and ask them. Um, and I love, I love everything that you're saying and how you're breaking this down, bro. I just think like in us hearing it, it's hard for because once we get off of this 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 program, we got to go back to the world. Yeah, people defend the the indefensible, and and. It's harder sometimes because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I use the, the Prince Michael Jackson analogy on, on a small level, but on a bigger level, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things that, that people in power have been able to do to keep people to vote and think against their own interests. Yeah. And, and, and that is becoming more and more of, of a scary situation to me because it's like, I know personally, I remember, um, uh, about a year last election, not this one. Last election, there was an initiative uh, on there for rent control, and and so the way they had written it, my my wife's mom, my mother in law, she asked me for help on it, and 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 picking the right thing to vote for. And when I initially read it, I said, "Oh, pick pick yes." And then I said, "Wait a minute, hold, hold on, two seconds, two seconds. Give me two seconds. Let me read this again. Let me reread this. Hold on one second. And I had to look at it for another five, ten minutes. Just I was like, "Oh no, 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 no! It's the other one." 
And but the way that they they had written it, yeah, was so convincing that it would have made a person literally vote against their own interest. So on a massive level, when it comes to politicians, when it comes to people who want to be authoritarians or anything like that, uh, news media outlets and all that, because I mean we have this big issue here with freedom of speech, and say, well, the reason why you won't get rid of Fox is because we have freedom of speech. The reason why Rush Limbaugh was able to be such a demon is because freedom of speech. Do you think there will ever come a time, uh, whether it be here or or you in the UK or in any in, in anywhere, to where people would just say, "Okay, you know what? This has become way too dangerous. This has become too much of a problem. We need to start putting more regulations on these things because the wrong information is making a lot of the wrong people do a lot of the wrong things." Do you think that will ever happen? Um. It, it, I would love that to happen <laughs> in the UK, um, but I don't think it's likely to happen because um, the, the politicians are absolutely terrified of Rupert Murdoch and uh, the Daily Mail, and they know that he can destroy them Um and any party that was to suggest, well, we just had one. <laughs> the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn was suggesting that there be some kind of uh, limitation on what um, newspapers could get away with, that there were going to be some checks and balances introduced that would actually be you know, reasonable and fair, a bit like you get in other countries, in Scandinavian countries and so on. And um, the, the, the destruction of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party has been one of the most spectacular things that I've ever seen in terms of just the, you know, the sheer force of propaganda and bullshit and smears. He was utterly crushed by a combination of the media and, and political opponents, including political opponents in his own party. Um, and you will never see now anyone stand up to the press uh, in, 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 in the current climate uh, that, that has likely to get any kind of political power because they will be completely destroyed. And also, is, isn't that, I mean, the, that is the slippery slope, and I hate using that word because that's what conservatives here in America love to use, the word slippery slope, or the, mm. the phrase. But that's, <laughs> I, I, will, I will say that the, pro, the problem with that, and we've talked about this before with voting rights and things like that, and, and I know there's a solution. I, I mean, I, I, but the, the problem with limiting what we say, and I mean, we, we do have limits to what we say, and, and there should be. You can't, there's no slander, libel, you can't, you're not supposed to incite a riot, things like that. Yeah. The downside is that when the wrong group becomes, we've seen this, when the wrong group is in power and they are determining what the facts are, the, and if it, if it is control, you're, the media is not allowed to say the things that aren't factual. Well, if Donald Trump had control of that, he would be telling us what's factual. And all of a sudden, there would be no free press. So while we want the fake news to not be prevalent, the downside is when the real news becomes the fake news because the people in, because the bully is holding you down on the uh, on the on the playground when the bully's in control. The bully gets to decide what's fake news, and 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 yeah. that's that's the problem. And it's it's not that it's not a, a fixable thing. There are ways to do fair and balanced fact checking, but that yeah, is yeah. the initial response. Is like, well, cool. wait, well, who's in charge of it? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a perfectly valid comeback. I mean, you know, uh, you know, if if you if once you start, you know, stuffing socks in people's mouths and telling them they can't say this and they can't say that, and then the political balance shifts suddenly, it's the really bad guys that are stuffing the socks in right. people's mouths. Of course, that's a real risk, a real problem. So, so um, it's it's not just going to be a matter of somebody in authority telling people what they can and cannot say. Sure. What you need is. Um, a kind of a level playing field that allows for many competing voices and no one um, is um, being shut down. Um, and there is, uh, a, I mean, the, the, the problem is that um, very often the money will move uh, to certain publications, mm-hmm. will own certain publications and anything else will just go out of business. Right. And in fact, they're all very often, very often they're loss making uh, newspapers. They don't, they don't even make any money anymore, but they are incredibly powerful. Um, and billionaires are prepared to run them because of the, because they, they are such incredibly powerful tools. Right. Um, so you're going to need to um, have a system in place, which you do find in other countries. I'm not an expert on this, but I mean, I know that in many European countries, they have systems in place which ensure that they have a reasonably balanced press, that there's a wide range of views, that you don't just get the same right-wing rhetoric over and over again being, you know, being repeated by every by every outlet. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely things that we can do and and that would not run the risk of, you know, Big Brother taking over. Sure, right. Yeah, of course. As I, said, I wouldn't I wouldn't want that. And I understand that if the wrong people got a hold of that type of that type of uh, control, it would be a problem on the other side. We do have a question here. Uh, Robert, are you going to read Robert's question? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. That's what I want to uh, Robert's question is, uh, describe the psychology of people prone to cult membership or support. Cult membership. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a philosopher. Right. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an armchair theorizer. I just sit and pontificate. I don't actually do, go out and do any proper research. <laughs> but, but I think, I think, I think that, yeah, he's not a psychologist, but I do think that <clears throat> you probably have a unique take on, on the personality types that you've yeah. seen. So, so earlier on, I was actually kind of moving in that direction a bit earlier. So we were talking about, so we were talking about, you can, if you want to change people's opinions or shape people's beliefs, you can do it using reason, but that's kind of risky because they might show that you're the one that's mistaken, or you can use things like isolation, control, um, censorship, uh, repetition, emotional manipulation, and so on. Now, uh, what is um, brainwashing? I just, I've got a quote here. I can read it out to you. Look, this is Kathleen Taylor, who's a neuroscientist and the author of Brainwashing, The Science of Thought Control. And she says, one striking fact about brainwashing is its consistency. Whether the context is a prisoner of war camp, a cult's headquarters, or a radical mosque, five core techniques keep cropping up. Isolation, control, uncertainty, repetition, and emotional manipulation. The very mechanisms that we were looking at earlier on. So people often think that brainwashing is some sort of Manchurian candidate's almost occult thing, which it's not. What it is, is it's the really determined, consistent application of these mechanisms that we're all perfectly familiar with, applying those to individuals. If you do that, you can be very successful in controlling what people believe. Um, And 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 isn't that kind of like social media? We have a lot of those elements where you're in a bubble, you're in a, you know. 
You do get, yeah, you do get that. I mean, certainly traditional religious education ticks all those mm -hmm. boxes, but no one would want to call that brainwashing. No. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you said earlier, really quick, early, what you said earlier, I wanted to bring up. Anyway, this is a good point, and then I'll let you continue. Yeah. Sorry. But you were talking about the altruist um, study that you were talking about, the, the, what you said earlier about oh, the, the altruistic, the, the altruistic yeah. personality. Um, and you were talking about how, how it's being in a non-authoritarian situation, and people think it would be the religious. Oddly enough, religion breeds the exact opposite. Religion breeds the authoritarianism. Spare the raw, don't spare the raw, all that sort of stuff where it's like, I am the hand of God. I am the, the, I, I am the patriarch. You do yeah. what I say because I said so. Religion is authoritarian by nature. Uh, the well, only, you know. <laughs> well, okay, so, so uh, a few years ago, I wrote a book called "The War for Children's Minds," which was about religious education, and I ended up uh, coming to this conclusion: right, that there's a kind of divide between authoritarians and liberals. And the authoritarians want you to passively accept what they tell you, and sometimes that comes with a big stick, right? Uh, like in a totalitarian regime that's very authoritarian, uh, there's a threat to back it up. And then liberals are, um, they sign up to what's sometimes called, you know, the Enlightenment, that period of our intellectual history when people were throwing off the shackles of tradition and authority and beginning to think for themselves. And there was the scientific revolution and things really began to take, take off intellectually because people suddenly started making their own judgments and applying their own intelligence as best as they could. So a liberal education is about that kind of focus. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I'll tell you what I believe and I'll make, try and convince you. But at the end of the day, it's, it's your judgment. It's your call, right? So you've got, this, these, you've got these two positions and then you've got religion and you've got atheism. Now you can get totalitarian authoritarian atheists you go to you know Stalinist Russia, they're they they're authoritarians, and you can get very liberal religious people actually. So these two axes kind of cross each other. You could got the liberal authoritarian axis going this way, and then you got the religious atheist going that way, and you find you know Joe Stalin in the atheist authoritarian corner, uh, and then you know some god awful pope in the religious authoritarian corner. But then you find religious people who are actually remarkably liberal and sign up to the enlightenment ideal and want people to make their own free choice they don't want to brainwash the kids and so on um and then you find atheists like me who are very much now the the, the battle between religion and um atheism generates so much smoke and heat that you often lose sight of the other battle which is between the authoritarians and the liberals which cuts right across there and in fact in some ways i suspect we might do better to you know because we're 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 in team liberal clearly right yes. so we might we might do better to uh, build, build some alliances <laughs> build some alliances with the liberals um that are to be found on the religious side and to make it clear that we are fundamentally opposed to authoritarianism really that that's that's the biggest the danger is not religion although i'm not a fan right um, authoritarianism it's authoritarianism yeah yeah you know and it's, it's funny because you said oh go, go ahead Ty. i wanted to get another question in before uh 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 barb has a question here another question for you and then or do you want which actually this go oh, yeah this goes along with that what okay. you're saying um uh, yeah, go ahead. But it, it, Barb just says, uh, do you delineate between religion and spirituality? Um, oh, I might do. Um, it depends. People use these words in so many different ways. It's, yeah. it's, I don't, I don't know. Um, 
Um, yeah, I mean, Richard Dawkins is, you know, the, the arch atheist, and he, but in, in some ways he's quite spiritual. I think he, he talks about, you know, the the awe and the, the reverence and the experience of, of nature is instilling in him these very deep feelings and so on. So is that spirituality? Well, maybe. I think, I think that's the first thing is you'd have to define spirituality, because I find that in America, at least for sure, because that's what I'm aware of, I get a lot of liberal religious people who are in that box you were just talking about. They're liberal, they're, they're not authoritarian, they're wonderful people, but they can't let go of the baggage. They're almost atheists. They don't believe in the Christianity, they don't believe in Catholicism, they don't like the pomp and circumstance, they don't believe in the Bible, but they can't let go of some sort of religious belief. And so they call that spirituality, where they go, well, I believe this, but I don't know what it is. But when you ask them where did that belief come from, from, it's really just baggage from their beliefs that they started with. So there's such a spectrum of what people call me spiritual all the time. They're like, wow, when you talk, it's same thing like Richard Dawkins. Oh, it's you talk about wonder and awe yeah. and, and you know, the way you talk about things, you, you sound like you're so spiritual. I'm like, but I'm but if you ask me, I'd be the furthest thing from spiritual because I don't believe in spirit. So I think you need to define yeah. what that is before and that. Sometimes um well, do you, you, do you, you, I, I imagine you guys have, have come across um, the hyperactive agency detecting device. Have you ever heard of that? Richard Dawkins talks about it sometimes. Uh, I mean, if you go to any, any culture on the face of the planet, you find people believing in invisible beings. Right. You know, fairies or elves or dead ancestors, dead relatives, remember, my dead aunties in the room with me, or or gods, or, you know, it's absolutely ubiquitous. Um, why on earth do human beings believe so easily in these kind of hidden, invisible agents? Scientists have been working on that um, and come up with various explanations, and one of the explanations is the hyperactive agency detecting device, which is that in our kind of natural environment uh it when we were you know evolving into what we've become now we were exposed to other agents with beliefs and desires other human beings but also you know saber-toothed tigers that wanted to eat us and so on so you need to be really sensitive to these other agencies in your environment because if you miss one it's likely likely to take you out of the gene pool so you don't get to pass your genes on and uh, whereas if you over detect them and you think there's one there when there isn't well there's no great loss so we've become over sensitive to agency we see agency where there isn't any right. so you know and that's an evolutionary trait by the way it's a it's yeah it's a kind of bit of baggage that we've inherited and so when you hear a rustle in the bushes on the way home this thing just turns on and goes there's someone there right uh and it, it and you'll look and you may look more closely and you'll have a look in the book and you can't see anyone but still you may feel that there's someone there and this is an explanation which has been offered by uh, some evolutionary psychologists for why it is that we are so prone to believing in, in these extraordinary invisible beings, which we all are. Um, and so when you, so religion, this is partly an explanation of religion and religious belief. Um, not a full explanation, but it, you know, is it true? I'm not sure, but it's, it's kind of, it has a, you know, seems fairly plausible to me. And I think it would explain why we are spiritual <laughs> beings in the sense that we tend to believe in these kind of spirits, invisible, extraordinary beings, gods, dead ancestors, your dead relatives, elves, 
areas, whatever it might happen to be. We are uh, hardwired to be spiritual, possibly. Um, and Justin Barrett, professor of psychology, who's come up, who's developed the HADD hyperactive agency detecting device hypothesis, he says that even if you were to completely eradicate religious belief from the face of the earth, it would be back within two generations. Yeah. I, don't think I think I think also like um, you know one of the things I've noticed that um, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but I I've I've really noticed this. And when it comes to religion, a, a lot of things that I don't want to. I'm not saying religion is a psychological disorder uh, necessarily, uh, but it is a function of the brain. You're saying that it is. But go ahead. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's a function of the brain. But but my thing is this: like I've noticed with a lot of psychological disorders, uh, bipolar. Uh, what we call ADHD, what we call uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. All of these, a lot of these things are really very similar to each other in many ways. And they're also very similar to addiction. When you look at someone who has addiction problems, um, which is why they say addiction is a disease. And we all go, well, you, yeah, you still got to pick up the bottle and drink, but no, it's the obsessive compulsive nature. Um, uh, Eating disorders, uh, people who are bulimic, anorexic, these are all very similar and closely related to OCD behavior. Um, there are certain behaviors that we do. And I find that with religion, breaking of religion or breaking of cults, I don't even want to call it religion because I want to say cults or political ideals or whatever, like what you were talking about with the brainwashing, the, the, the you know, isolation. Mm. And what, when you get out of a, 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 a um, when you get sober or whatever it is you're doing, one of the things you need to do to break an addictive cycle is not only get rid of the physical addiction, but you have to break the patterns and you can't break the patterns. Like the one thing they tell you you need to do is move. You you need to go get out of your city, get out of your state, go to a, go to a house where you're living with other sober people, go to a new, a new city that you've never been to because as soon as you fall back into that, that, that thinking, yeah. if you live in the town where all your church people are and you're an atheist and you come out or you're a Republican and, and your 30 friends that you see every day at the bar are still like, God, these damn liberals and blah, blah, blah. You're, yeah. you're going to go right back into those patterns. Yeah. And, and we're pattern we're pattern driven people. And it's like I said, it's, it's almost like a psychological disorder. And then you add fear on top of that and, mm. and the self-awareness that we talked about. And not being comfortable, and you add that in; these are cycles that are really hard to break. Yes, they are. Yeah, I mean, there's a the the importance of habit really can't can't be underestimated. There's a there's a philosopher called um, William James um, that was a big fan of instilling habits, instilling the right habits in people. You don't you don't want to be having to think about stuff too much all the time. You just need to get into the get into good habits. Right. Um, and he said, you know, it's all very well having feelings and good intentions, but you know, hell is you know proverbially paved with good intentions, right? What you really need to do is to change your habits and develop good habits so that doing the right thing becomes automatic and unthinking actually very often um now actually i think there is some truth to that and that was seized on by um conservative thinkers and turned into something called character education um which i think was a big thing in the united states um yeah yeah, you need to you need to raise people so that they you know, drill them so that they just get into the habit of doing the right thing and behaving well and being clean and tidy and on time and 
Um, and I've got some time, some time for that. But I, my, my, the, the, here's my worry about it. The people that were pushing this were very often religious people. And what it seemed to me they really wanted to do was to indoctrinate kids uh, by just getting them to mindlessly accept stuff and get into the habit of praying and and you know doing all the doing all of the religious routines and in fact it seems to me that the most important habit that you should develop is that of actually stopping and thinking and questioning and not just passively accepting everything that you're told um, that should become a habit and you can you can do that in schools and there are programs that have proved very effective called um, there's something called p4c or philosophy for children they've been trialed in loads of schools and when you do that when you get kids together once a week say for an hour's conversation where they are it's not like you're teaching them count and human meal or anything like that it's, it's not that kind of philosophy it's more like a talking club where they decide on a question they want to explore and then they make points and there's a back and forth um and um they're allowed to go wherever they want and they're not told no that's wrong you've made a mistake there they're allowed to explore and correct each other and apply reason as best they can and it turns out that when you do that in schools the kids become according to one study measurably more intelligent the plus right i mean it's quite significantly more intelligent compared to the school where they didn't run the program, the schools where they didn't run the programs. But the kids also show um, a kind of empathy. There's less bullying in schools that run these programs, right? Which is our number one rule on this show, isn't it? Right, exactly. Um, real quick, couple comments. Really, quick. we have a, we got about five minutes, Ty. So I want you to take take it out and do what you're going to yeah. do. A uh, couple comments here. Uh, Krista says, um, we're evolving poorly considering how much we know about evolution. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Barb says, uh, spirituality possibly believing in, uh, is possibly believing in and having a personal relationship with a power greater than oneself as opposed to religion, an organization that lays out specific beliefs and has leaders with authority. Yeah, it sounds about right. Uh, and Derek says, uh, this is a great discussion, by the way. Oh, cool. <laughs> thank you, Derek. So, uh, and, and like I said, by the way, uh, you, I want to thank you again for being on the show. And anybody else, uh, we got a few minutes left. So if you get an, you got another question, you better get it in quick. He's eight hours ahead of us. <laughs> Already did the time. He should be going to bed pretty soon. So uh, here, here's, here's my thing, and this is why I say, when we started the show, we really did start the show with this idea of we're just going to talk comedy because we're comedians. And then it kind of morphed into what it is today. So now we're just two adults who happen to tell jokes, but we have these other issues that we keep trying to solve the world's problems. <laughs> so that's why we have guests like you on, because we want we really want to get an understanding of how to function in a society where stuff used to make way more sense than it does now. And, mm -hmm. and, and to hear you break this down actually is, a, is, 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 a, is, is really a blessing because I want people to understand that when people say, oh, you're an adult, and they use the term adult, I, I think that's just in term. It's almost like the same thing as saying, saying you're a father versus a daddy. Hey, anybody could be a daddy. You make a kid. Go ahead. Boop. We know how it works. Egg, sperm, egg, boom. But to be a father and to nurture, to be a mother and nurture and all that is totally different. Same thing with being an adult, um, mm -hmm. meaning that 
the rational thought that comes with being an adult, uh, the reasoning skills, the ability to go out and listen to differing opinions and understand them as opposed to just shouting them down, which we've been doing for the last four years. Yeah, um, the, the, exa exactly. <laughs> the, the ability to see something in front of you and instead of falling for what the cult will say is don't believe your eyes and ears is to say, okay, no, no, no. I'm actually going to believe my eyes and ears on this one. I'm really going to do that. So one, let me ask you this. Uh, and, and then we can get ready to close this out in your experiences. And all of this time, I know I asked you earlier, if you've ever seen somebody, you just said, this is total bullshit. <laughs> do you knowing what you know now, do you lean more towards hope or despair? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'd really like to say hope, uh, but I'm feeling a pessimistic. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of good stuff going on, um, and I think that oh, people often point to the internet and say, oh, you know, ooh, look at that terrible stuff, all of the echo chambers and God knows what else, and people just spouting hatred and and so of course there's a lot of that going on. But actually, if I have, if, if I am optimistic about anything, it is actually the power of the internet to allow people to, um, I mean, I, I, I realize that I've made mistakes and I've got things wrong and I've trusted sources of information that actually I shouldn't have trusted. Yeah. Um, and that has very often come from just um, looking at Twitter and Facebook and reading stuff and that leads to other stuff. And, and you know, of course you have to be discerning and of course you have to be careful and of course there's a lot of bullshit out there and you need to have your filters on and your red warning light ready in case you, you know, you're going to come across some bullshit, which inevitably you are. But it seems to me that actually um, having those kind of conversations with other people and trying to be calm and measured and not just turning the hate to 10 immediately but you know those kind of interactions have actually been really positive very often um, on the internet and i felt like i've got somewhere with other people um but so you know that's good and i would and, and um i'm I, I think young people are crying out for uh, change and they see that things are really bad but they're often very confused about what should be done um, and I would like to see them given more opportunity to discuss things in the classroom and uh, in, you know that would be great but uh, you know, the reason I'm pessimistic is that um, I feel like we are possibly in this country I just getting I'm getting a sense that, that we are approaching some kind of tipping point and, and that something bad is around the corner. And although, you know, Trump's gone now, the people that put him there are still there and they're becoming even more inflamed, even more angry, even more resentful. Um, and I don't see that going away. And um, so I am quite nervous. Okay. Let, me, let me ask you this. I didn't, I didn't actually thought we were going to close the show out and we, we are, but I wanted to ask you this because sure. literally just based off what you just said, it was a bummy thought to end on, wasn't it? No, 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 no. That's a very, but that's what we want. Two minutes. That's what we, that's really what, because, <laughs> because our show is our show and people are going to leave our show and go into the world. 
and this is what these people need to be aware of because like i said this is it's the reality of where we are we we, we are not about the fox news shit here we are about really <laughs> what what is going on but you just said something so i I'll, I'll um I want to ask you this and then I'll let Ian close this out. Um, and with all information, and let me thank the guests real quick because this question I got for you is going to take a second. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank all of our uh, commenters uh, J.E., Krista, Derek, uh, Barb, Joey, uh, Robert, Tam. Uh, who else did I get in there? I know I'm missing somebody. JP. Reggie, there's a whole bunch today, actually. Yes. Uh, uh, so everyone that, that Robert, everyone that commented, thank you very much. So I want to ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot on the way out. Okay. Someone came to you and said, Stephen, you can make the curriculum for the world. Children. Okay. For children to study. This is going to be universal. This yeah. is what has to be taught in every school. What would that be? <laughs> it no would be. Okay, so when people are worried about young people today and, you know, what they're going to end up doing and we need to do something about it, and um, they often think that, you know, when if kids are going to be vulnerable to indoctrination and extremism and stuff, how are we going to deal with that? Let's get our indoctrination in first. That, that's very often <laughs> if first thought. We'll just indoctrinate them with our stuff before anyone else comes in. But I Actually, that's just, that's not going to make them immune to indoctrination. If some, you know, rather more charismatic Pied Piper comes along a bit later on, they've got, they've got nothing. They have no internal resources to, to deal with that because you've just made them passive receptacles so far as whoever, whoever's got access to them is concerned. Um, the most important thing is that you raise, I think, is that you raise children to be independent, critical thinkers who feel that they have a responsibility to make their own judgments and not just passively accept what they are told about religion, about morality and everything else. Of course, there's a risk attached to that. The risk is that, well, they might end up making the wrong decisions or signing up to something really toxic. But at least at least they're still going to be listening to you. <laughs> right. Uh, first of all, they're not going to have their fingers in their ears going, no, 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 no. I know the answers because God's told me or, you know, my, my local Communist Party official has told me that uh, you can still reach them because they still respect reason and they'll still listen to your reasons. Um, and in any case, we know that when you do give people the opportunity to talk and reflect and so, you know, in schools that have had these P4C programs and so on, it turns out it's really positive and the kids come out morally improved it seems in terms of you know, greater respect for each other they listen better there's less bullying um those are the kind of citizens we want surely and, and of course as i pointed out right at the beginning you know if you want people to do the right thing in the worst possible situations in nazi germany who were the people that rescued jews what marked them out what was it about their backgrounds that marked them out it turns out it was precisely this that they had been raised to think and question yes. and take on responsibility for making their own judgments not just passively accepting what they were told so if there's one thing that we should be doing in our schools it seems to me it is that but of course religious conservatives hate it um, well, well you know and, and really quick when when i always hear people say don't argue i used to hear that all the time when i was a kid don't argue first off quit calling it arguing it's discussion it's discourse yeah. and you should encourage it when yeah. sure you, you don't just you know let kid let your kids run run rushed out over you but you if your kid has a question you should discuss it. You should an yeah. you should answer these questions. You don't just shut them down. Um, yeah, yeah. Like you should in in encourage 
intellectual discourse with your kids um, yeah. and, and, and not demonize arguing because discussion and, and combat and going back and forth with it's how you learn things. So yeah. how kids learn things. Um, we do have to go cause we're super late. We actually have an appointment at one 30 for the show here, but um, Steve, where can people find you? Um, and what, what do you, do you have anything that, that you, that you're uh, anything out that you want to sell or tell people about? Yeah. Well, I've written, I've written various uh, popular books. So if you've got young people in your family that you want to expose to philosophy, um, I wrote a really fun introduction to the big questions called the complete philosophy files, which has got cartoon illustrations and jokes and dialogues and stuff. So you might want to check that out. I wrote an introduction to philosophy called the philosophy gym 25 short adventures in thinking so you might want to try that out if you're a bit older and then the thing i'm plugging at the moment is i've just written a, i mean i've written critical thinking courses for university of oxford uh eton college and you know i've been teaching critical thinking for a long period of time now so what i've done is i've distilled all the most entertaining and useful bits and stuck it in a udemy course which you can sign up to on udemy my critical thinking courses but if you if you sign up to it straight away it's about the price of a paper book and I'm there on hand to help you along and there are quizzes and a lot of what we've been talking about today is in that course about three hours of little short video clips and stuff so you might want to check that out yeah nice. thank you so much you can be on the show and you can find us we're here every Friday at noon Pacific critical and thinking podcast facebook.com slash critical and thinking you can also find us download the episodes uh in there entirety without video on itunes stitcher google play all the places where podcasts are available please do that like subscribe all that sort of stuff that's how we get noticed is the facebook is great where people can see us and all that but it's it's down the road also if you're not a subscriber to our facebook channel like it then you'll get the updates every friday at noon we will be back next week and ty and i are easy to find uh on social media but we got to go i'm ian harris hi barnett see you next week critical thinking Peace. Yes.